Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy God's Word, once you find the book of Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew's in the second half of your Bible. It's like the first book that starts the New Testament of your Bible, Matthew chapter 11. As you are turning to Matthew chapter 11, I want to introduce to you my siblings and my mom. You can see a picture of them right here. There they are. The guy in the middle that's wearing the green lay, that is my brother Cole. This was at his wedding celebration in Denver, Colorado a couple years back. And man, me, me and my brothers, we're, we're tight. We were all in high school together. That's how close in age we are. And, and so we grew up just, you know, rivals and doing a lot of stuff together. And my brother Cole, the guy that was in the middle, um, he was really the first one in my family to really sell out to Christ. And so was, I think it was like his freshman year uh, in high school, he starts following Christ. And like when he decided, when he decided to follow Christ, like he went after it. And so I remember remember um, I was in middle school. He's now in high school and he goes to my mom and he's like, mom, I want to go to Africa for the summer. And she's like, what? Who's going to Africa? And he's like, I'm going to Africa. And he goes on a mission trip, which is basically like spending two months in a foreign place to tell people about Jesus and to serve the local efforts of the church in that, effort, in that area. And so he does that one summer. And then the next summer, he's like, I want to go to India. So like, we're in high school and my guy is going from like continent to continent. He's doing big things and trying to really live his faith out. And then he just continues to do this. He starts to learn to play the guitar because back in the day, if you really wanted to be a Christian, then you had to learn to play the guitar. You had to read John Piper. You know, you had to do the stuff, right? Anyway, and so he starts learning to play the guitar and he's writing worship songs now. And, and then I finally get my, my life together and I start following Christ. And now we're young adults following Christ together. And man, he goes to seminary, winds up working at a church. He's been working at church camps, doing all kinds of stuff. And then I'm like, man, we should do some camps together. And so um, I had a, a, a group of teenagers that I was working with. And I said, why don't you come lead worship at this camp? And you could be like the guy Mario up here and Mariana, those folks that were leading us earlier, doing such a great job. You could be that person. And so I'm like, we get to do these sort of things together. And like, he was one of those guys that early on, I was like, man, that guy, when it comes to following Jesus, that that guy, he's about it. Like he, like he's, he reading the Bible. I remember one time I, I walked in and he was sleep talking, you know, like, I don't know if you're ever talking your sleep. And like he was, he was sleep talking and he, and he was saying things like the kingdom of God, like, like sleep talking kingdom of God, right? You don't want to know what I say when I sleep talk, you know, I guess I'm not as holy as that guy. And anyway, I thought I was like, that's weird, but kind of cool. Anyway. And so like this was his life. So you could imagine really how confused I was when a few years ago he calls me and says, Hey, I just wanted to call you and let you know that I'm not a Christian anymore. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, man, I've, been, I've really been dealing with some, with some questions and some doubts. And um, just earlier this month, I just, I just really kind of discovered it's, all, it's, it's just not true. And he left his faith. Now, initially, I was like, man, you know, this is probably just like a phase he's going through and and uh, so I'm thinking, like, how do I respond? And I, and, I, and I just responded the way that I think Jesus would have responded in that moment. And, and here's what I said. I, I just said, well, you know, I listened to him, first of all, heard him out. And then I tried to respond as kind as I could. And I shared with him some truths from God's word. And then I let him know, hey, man, you're my brother. And I love you. And nothing's ever going to change that. 
and that's not a Chad thing. I just, again, I, I read about some ways that Jesus had responded to people that have, had kind of questioned him and doubted him. And, and I knew that Jesus never was like, how could you? You know, and like he was always kind and compassionate. And, and so I tried to emulate that, but really on the inside, I was, I was devastated. Because I'm like, bro, we, we did camps together. We, did, we went on mission trips together. We've done ministry together. What do, you, what do you mean you're just, and so again, I thought it was a phase. But that's now been about 10 years ago that he left his faith. And, and as we process this over the last 10 years, I've just kind of asked him, so what do you believe now? And he's like, well, I really don't believe anything. I'm like, so, so you know you're not a Christian. He's like, yeah, I'm not a Christian. Then what are you when it comes to your faith? And he's like, I really don't know. So my brother, he's really not an anomaly. This is such a common thing in our generation. People maybe have been familiar with faith or they've grown up in faith. Maybe they weren't as sold out as my brother was at one time. But no doubt many people are leaving their faith or leaving their faith tradition and they're kind of settling in this category that's called the nuns, N-O-N-E. Because when you ask them, are you a, um, are you a Christian? They would say, no. Well, are you an atheist? And they'd say, no. they say, well, then which are you? And they would say, I'm, I'm neither. I'm none of the above. I'm a nun. And this is one of the fastest growing religious, if I could use that word, groups in our generation. And so my brother, he kind of settled in this place. And where he settled is really in this trough of deconstruction. Now, deconstruction, if you're new to us and joining us in the series, we're continuing a series and finishing a series called Deconstruction. And here's our working definition of what I mean by deconstruction. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. That deconstruction is taking apart and examining our practices and beliefs to determine their truthfulness, their usefulness, and impact. And so my brother, he, he began to take apart his beliefs about Jesus, and he decided one day that those truths were no longer true. He decided one day that those truths were no longer useful or impactful in his life, and he concluded for him that there is no God. And again, I just remember him reaching out to me, and I, I'm thinking, man, you, you're deconstructing and, and all of these things. I wouldn't have used that word. I would just say that you're, you're doubting at that time, but now it's kind of this thing that's grown, and, and, and he's just kind of stuck there. And so by and large, he's just marked by what he doesn't believe rather than what he does believe. And maybe you've come in here tonight and you're, and you're in that phase. Like you would say, I'm deconstructing. Or maybe you know somebody that's deconstructing. And deconstruction isn't altogether a bad thing. Like sometimes we need to ask hard questions so that we can reinforce why we really believe what we believe. Jesus, even he deconstructed some things. He, he would say phrases like this, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this. And so deconstruction, I'm not trying to demonize deconstruction, but the problem is, is that Jesus, he wants us to deconstruct in order to reconstruct some right beliefs. But many people are deconstructing and just staying there. And so a lot of people, maybe even in this room, when you ask, why do you believe what you believe? You may not be able to articulate why you believe what you believe. And other people, you would say, why do you not believe what you not believe? And they would be able to say, I don't know why I don't believe those sort of things. And oftentimes we'll just land in a popular place or we'll just tear down something and then we'll say, okay, that's sufficient for me. And we get stuck in this deconstruction. And tonight what I want to do is I want to look at God's word and I want to see how Jesus responded to somebody that was deconstructing. How Jesus responded to somebody that was doubting whether or not Jesus was really a man of integrity. 
because I know that if you've come in here tonight, you may be in that place of deconstruction or you may know somebody like I know and my brother and we need to be able to respond the way that Jesus would have responded to them. And if you're here and you're in that place, I just want to represent Jesus in the way that he would respond to you tonight. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled the message, How Does Jesus Respond to Someone Who Is Deconstructing? How does Jesus respond to someone who is deconstructing? And we're gonna see two really big ideas from this passage that Jesus, he's acknowledging the reality of this person's problems in their life. He's not trying to just look over the pain that they're going through. But also Jesus is responding kindly, responding graciously to this person's doubts. And so I'm excited that you're here tonight and I just wanna kinda set up where we're headed about Uh, where we're headed in the scriptures so that you can really get a picture of of the devastation that this guy's going through. The guy that we're talking about tonight is a guy named John, and John was Jesus' cousin. And John, he was, he's known as John the Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist denominationally. He just literally was given that title because he would dunk people in the water. That was a big part of his ministry. He would baptize them in the Jordan River. And so they say, oh, that's John, the guy that baptizes a lot of people, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he made his living telling the truth, kind of like what I do. And he was a guy that when he would see something happening in the culture, he would be quick to call it out if it was not in alignment with God's word. And so God has some things to say about how we should order our families. And John the Baptist, he knew that. So when the governing leaders were kind of doing their life in a very dramatic fashion, John the Baptist called them out. See, what was going on is that there was these two guys, they were brothers, and they were kind of ruling the area. And they weren't kind of, they were ruling the area. And the, the one brother who was the king, uh, he decided he wanted to get married, which is not a bad thing. You know, we, we, you know some of y'all want to get married, that's great. But he married his cousin. I mean, his niece. He married his niece, actually. Don't marry your niece, all right? Let me just say that, okay? Come next week for good for my soul, and we're going to take point, you know, week one. Don't marry your niece, all right? But he marries, he marries his niece, and, uh, and then he goes on, a, on like a business trip. And while he's out of town, she hooks up with her other uncle. And so they get a divorce, and now she's married to her other, uh, her other uncle. And um, this is some Jerry Springer stuff, y'all, man. So, like, what do you... Like, uh, uncle, husband, you know, I mean, like, what do you call him, right? And so now they're married, and it's just kind of this weird thing, and they're like the leaders of the society. And so John the Baptist, being the guy that's like, hey, I'm committed to tell the truth, he'd say, according to um, many Bible verses, that's gross, all right? And uh, you shouldn't do that. And so he starts calling them out. Well, um, the guy, he thinks it's kind of funny, and the girl, she doesn't like it. And her name is Herodias, and she says, um, uh, I want John the Baptist thrown in jail. And so her husband, he flexes his authority, and he takes John the Baptist and he throws him in jail. Now the jail that she wants him to be thrown in is on the outskirts of, the, of their region in a place called Machaerus. Now, I don't know if you ever get to use your maps in your Bible. I don't know if you know this or not, but at the, at the back of your Bible is usually maps. They won't help you in the Midwest. They'll help you in the Middle East. So anyway, so they're there, and oftentimes we'll read about these places that people are in, and, and it can be a little bit confusing because we don't know that area, but John the Baptist, he's in Machaerus. When Jesus hears that John, his cousin, is, is getting canceled, essentially, for standing up for the truth, you would think that immediately if Jesus loved John, that he would go to Machaerus. But we read early on in Matthew that when Jesus hears about this, he leaves where he's at and he goes to Capernaum. Now, again, we don't really know why that's a big deal, but let me just show you a map real quick. So on the far right, you're gonna see Machaerus. That's where John is in prison. 
Jesus is in Nazareth. You would think he would go down that line that I've drawn on there all the way to Machaerus. But instead, Jesus goes to, to Capernaum. The reason why this is significant is because when John needed Jesus the most, Jesus went in the opposite direction. Now, I don't know if y'all posted anything that's like a POV post, like a point of view post, but if you were John, this would have been your point of view right here. This is kind of the ruins of, of where this guy's castle was. He was in some dungeon up there. Now, you know, it looks dry, it looks arid, you know, but if he was posted on his social media back in the day, it would have been POV, or POV, point of view from prison. This is terrible. And then if he would have been scrolling and seeing Jesus' post, Jesus would have made a POV post like this from Capernaum. Jesus is at the beach while John's in prison. Don't miss this. Some of y'all have come in here tonight, and you're in a desert place. You're in a prison that's dry spiritually. And you have this sense that Jesus is at the beach. You have this sense that he doesn't care about what's going on in your life. This was John, Jesus' cousin. This was the guy that baptized Jesus. <laughs> this was the guy that when he saw Jesus, he, he said, behold, everyone stop, that's the guy, that's the savior of the world. He's the guy that, that when he saw Jesus, he's like, man, this guy, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, to take off his chacos. I'm not even, that's, I mean, he is amazing. He's, he's God. But Jesus was at the beach when John needed him the most. And so John, he's, he's been in prison for a little while. And we pick up in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2, and here's what happens. It says, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And they said to him, speaking to Jesus, they said, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Uh, this phrase, coming one, this would have been their way of saying, Jesus, are you the Savior? Jesus, John sent us to ask you, are you really the Messiah? Uh, Jesus, John sent us to ask you, are you the one that's going to come like right all the wrongs? Are you the one that's going to come and like fix the broken? Are you the one that's supposed to care about people who stand for truth? Are you really the one that can get me out of this predicament? And John, he began to doubt and he began to deconstruct if his faith in Jesus was really a wise decision. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. If you're going to respond to people who are deconstructing, you have to acknowledge the reality. You have to acknowledge the reality. John, he's a real person. We're not, we're not, this isn't a, a, a fable that we're reading tonight. This isn't a make-believe person. John the Baptist was a real person in real history in real time. He's a real person going through some real problems, and he's asking some real questions. And many of you have come in here tonight, and let me, let me just say this. If you're, go, you're a real person. And, and if you're going through something, your problems are real problems. Don't let anybody minimize your pain or minimize your problems. Pain and suffering is always relative. And you may have come in here and you have some real questions and no one is trying to take that from you. No one, if you ever come into a place like this and you bare your soul and they just say, well, get over it. Be done with that place. That Jesus is acknowledging the reality of John's predicament. If you're here and you're deconstructing tonight, man, I hope this is a safe place for you to live your questions. That we've said all along through this series that the church, it should be the safest place for you to ask questions 
John, he's in this place, and, and, and you can only imagine the things that he's asking, things like, God, are you really the one? Jesus, are you really God? Because John, he's feeling alone. He's in pain. He's, he's feeling forgotten for, for doing the right thing. It's not like John went out and just on a weekend romp and got hammered and did a bunch of illegal things. He called out the sins of the culture, and he got canceled and thrown in prison. He's in a dark place, and he's beginning to doubt. Some of you know exactly where John is because you're in a similar place. That You've come in here tonight, and, and if you're being honest, you're maybe in a transition in life, or, or maybe you're, you're here in, back in church for the first time in a long time, or maybe you, you did some things over yesterday, 4th of July, and you thought, man, I'm, I'm a little hungover this morning, but I, I'm going to go to this church thing, and maybe God will give me one last chance. And maybe you've come in here, and you're, you're in a dark place. And it's oftentimes in the dark places that our doubts begin to grow. That doubts are like a fungus, that they grow in dark places. John, he was... He was questioning God. He was questioning Jesus. We see you know, five observations from John's life, five, five things that make someone question God, and maybe you can relate to these. The first thing that makes someone question God is isolation. John, he was probably in a prison that was a solitary confinement deal. He could have visitors. They had to bring him food, but this wasn't like a, you know, they're watching ESPN and, and playing dice and cards and dominoes type thing. You know, this, was, this was suffering. He's alone. He's in isolation. Some of you, you've come in here and you're not in a prison in some, you know, remote Macaris place, but you are isolated. You're around people all the time, but no one really knows who you are. Some of you, you're here tonight and you're in a new season of life where you were once kind of right in the hub of, of, of relationship and of community, but now you've kind of lost all of that and you're isolated, and the irony of our generation is that we are the most digitally connected generation than ever before. But research tells us that we're the most isolated generation. And oftentimes it's in our isolation that we begin to question God and his existence. The second thing that John was experiencing that caused him to question God was that he wasn't only isolated, but he was also, he was also discomfortable. He was in a place of discomfort and pain. You know, prison back in the day, they'd put you in like shackles and spread you, you know, your arms and your legs out and they would, they would torture you. They would, they would deprive you. He's emotionally uncomfortable. He's physically uncomfortable. He's spiritually uncomfortable. He's in a place of pain. And many of you know that when you are sick or when you get a chronic diagnosis or when you were born with a disability or when you're in a place of pain, when you experience loss in some sort, this is oftentimes the catalyst for deconstruction in your life. And it's in a place of isolation and a place of pain that we oftentimes begin to question God. Or John, he was also suffering from injustice. He was suffering from injustice. You know, he, he had stood up for the right thing and now he's getting punished. And some of you, you know exactly what he's talking about. You, you recorded the numbers the way that they came in and you were asked to fudge the numbers, but you, you were like, no, my conscience tells me I gotta be a man or a woman of integrity. And then you got demoted or you didn't get uh, even a, a, a nod for the promotion or you got fired. Some of you know all about injustice. Some of you, somebody laid hands on you and they took advantage of you in a season of your life and they're walking free and there's no criminal charges, but you're living with the pain and the consequences of being taken advantage of. 
that some of you know the injustice of racism, that somebody looked at you and treated you a certain way because of the color of your skin that they wouldn't have treated another person that was like them, and you felt the sting of racism and injustice. And it's oftentimes in those places of injustice, you start questioning God, saying, God, how could you allow this? And John, again, he's right there. He's saying, man, I stood up for the truth. I was a man of God. I gave my life to following God. I baptized the Son of God, and now I'm stuck in a prison. And his suffering and his deconstruction and his doubt was a reality. John, he probably no doubt felt forgotten as well. Five things that cause you to question God, isolation, discomfort, or pain, injustice, or you just feel forgotten. You know, again, Jesus, when he heard the news, he went in the opposite direction. When he heard the news that his cousin was thrown in prison, he didn't go make a prison visit. He went to the beach instead. And then he starts serving all of these other people, and he forgets his family. Some of y'all with family yesterday, July 4th, and you hate your family, but you love your family, you know? And, uh, but, and if your family found out that you were partying with some other people that weren't your family, like they'd get upset even though your family wasn't doing a big deal, you know, but, and, but you had to be there, right? So you could witness all the stuff, right? And like, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. And so like John, like he feels forgotten. His own family didn't come to him. And some of you, you know exactly how he feels. That maybe you're here and you're questioning God because you just feel forgotten by God. Like you're in the same season. It feels like you're stuck in this season. And you prayed prayers, and it seemed like God answered her prayer, but he didn't answer your prayer. And you fasted, and you, and you sought the Lord, and you, did, and, you, and you were faithful, and you did all these things, but you just feel like God just kind of like just looked over you and landed over here on this person. And then the next time, he kind of looked over you over here and landed on this person, and you feel forgotten. Or maybe the thing that has caused you to question God, the, the same thing that caused John to question God was just silence, silence. That John, he, he didn't get a letter from Jesus that we know about. Again, John, he definitely did get a visit from Jesus. And so he has to send his guys to go ask Jesus a question. And John, like he's like, Jesus, can you, can you, can you throw me a line, man? Can, can you give me a word? Like some of y'all, you've, you are in a season tonight and you're reading God's word and it seems like you're reading Chinese and you don't read Chinese, all right? It seems like you're reading some sort of foreign language. Like, and then you're sitting with somebody in your group or you're sitting with somebody at the coffee shop and they're like, man, God spoke to me today. Woo! You know, and they're just like praising about how God spoke to them. And like, they're, they're, and they're, they're in some random, like I was in Habakkuk. You're like, you didn't know that was in the Bible, you know? And they're talking about all this stuff and they like read three pages out of their journal and they're like, what's God speaking to you? And you're like, oh, I don't know. He's just giving me a season, whatever. And we just feel, it. and you can be in a season of silence. In a few days of that, we can make it through. But when you're in weeks and months and maybe years where you don't feel like God's given you a fresh word, you can start to question God. If you're going to lead people the way Jesus would lead people that are dealing with deconstruction, you have to acknowledge their reality. That John, he was questioning God. Again, John, the guy that baptized Jesus, was deconstructing. John, the, the guy who told his closest followers that Jesus must become greater and greater and that John must become less and less, was now telling his followers to go question Jesus' integrity. 
that John, this, this person that Jesus would say was the greatest born amongst all women, that John, he was, he was doubting Jesus. He was deconstructing. That John, he was disappointed in Jesus. He was discouraged. And maybe he felt like Jesus didn't care. Or maybe he felt like Jesus didn't want to help him. Whatever the case was, he was disappointed and he was deconstructing. Oftentimes, our disappointments, they drive our deconstruction. And so he sends his guys, he says, are you the coming one? And he he asks this other question, he says, or should we look for another? Should we look for another? And maybe you've come in here tonight and I just want you to consider the alternative. This is what I did with my brother Cole when we started processing, okay, you've left Christianity. And I told him, I said, anytime you leave something, you're headed towards something else. And I just asked him, where are you headed? If you've left this construct of faith called Christianity and you said, okay, that's not true, I've deconstructed that, what are you doing with the rubble of faith that's still in your life? Where are you going? And maybe you're here and you're on the fringes of should I follow Jesus or not? And I would just ask you, where are you going to go? Who, who else are you going to look for? I think some of the things that we begin to turn to in order to find our sense of self-worth and our sense of identity and our sense of purpose and our sense of eternity and our sense of, of understanding of how the universe was brought together, oftentimes we'll turn to things like, we'll, we'll go, well, I'm not going to look to Jesus, I'm going to look to science. And I'm going I'm to just throw my, my life into believing what I can only see, measure, or repeat. Others of you, maybe you look towards society and you think, man, I'm going to give my life to politics and I'm going to give my life to, to litigating and legislating so that I can help create the utopian government. And if we get the right government, if it's, if it's a, a, this type of economy or this type of economy or this type of whatever or this type of person and we get all the right things together, then we'll, we'll reach utopia. Others of you, maybe you're looking towards a sexual encounter. And you think, man, if I could just express myself in, in whatever sexual desire I have, then I will find satisfaction. Or maybe you're looking to a woman to give you what you need or a man to give you what you need, thinking that that's the thing that's going to somehow save you or liberate you. Yet others of you may be looking to school and your intellect and your philosophy and the, and the education that you can acquire and the way that you can kind of make sense of the world. If you go to the Church of Scientology that's going to be one of our neighbors in the crossroads, you'll learn that the guy that, that they are fired up about, he went on this epic journey where he learned a bunch of things and he saw the common thread. Now, he died in the 80s and he didn't resurrect, but that's their guy. And that's who they're following. And they're saying because of his intellect and his experience and his sense of adventure, we should go do the philanthropic work that he gave his life to. Or maybe you're looking towards yourself. You've come in here and you're like, man, I can only trust me. And I'm, I'm not into faith. I'm into me and I'm into making it happen and I'm into what I can do. And I would just ask you to ask yourself, if not Jesus, then who? If you're, if, you're, if you're not going to be looking to Christ as your sense of self-worth, your sense of salvation, your sense of satisfaction, if you're not going to look to the God that made the universe, that, ex, that lives beyond time, but you're going to look to one of these other things, then I would call you to question and evaluate those things equally. And so John says his guys, he's like, are you, really, are you really Jesus or should we be looking to something else? And if you're here tonight and you're looking to anything other than Christ, I would just, with, without apology, I would urge you to turn to Christ. 
that the evidence is undeniable, the message is unmistakable, and the opportunity is unbelievable in my mind, that you can have a right relationship with the God that knit you together in your mother's womb, that you can have, a, you can have forgiveness from your sin, that you don't have to stand before your almighty creator and give an account for the, the things you didn't do for his glory and the things that you did against his glory, that you can be loved and forgiven and you can find soul satisfaction in Christ. John, he's doubting and he's deconstructing. And, and this may sound weird, but hear me clearly, this is a normal part of faith. Like some of y'all, you've come in here and you have the gift of faith. <laughs> what that means is like when we go through series like this, you're just like, I don't know who would ever ask these questions. Like who's asking these questions? Like the, God said it, that settles it. You know, like that's kind of your mentality. And I just don't ever think about that. But then there's the rest of us, you know. And, um, and, and you've come in here and, and if, you're, if you're not gifted in faith, and what I mean by, by that is that you, you just, you have questions. You, you doubt things. Sometimes in, in places like this, you can kind of be like, what's wrong with you? You just got to believe. You just got to suck it up and believe. I would say that doubt is a normal part of faith. That the greatest born, Jesus said that John was the greatest born amongst all. He had doubts. That doubt, it's not the enemy of faith. In fact, it's a part of faith. That doubt, it's normal and deconstruction can lead to a robust faith. That doubt, it's not the enemy but it's a necessity in order for us to build an immunity in our faith. That, that in order to build a spiritual immune system, you have to have the antibodies of doubt. You have to be exposed to some questions. But again, the problem is, is that many of us will begin to deconstruct our faith and we'll never reconstruct anything. And we'll just get stuck in this rubble of belief instead of allowing God to rebuild something in our, in our life. And I've seen this happen in, in my life personally. Like there's been times in my life where I've gone through pain. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I've been married one year and, and I was in a four-wheeling accident with my wife and she broke her back. And I remember thinking, is she gonna be paralyzed for the rest of our life? And I remember dialing 911 and the ambulance coming out and like, just, like everything just went in slow-mo and I'm thinking, I just got, we've only been married just for a few months. Like what, this wasn't a part of the plan. And I remember going through a crisis saying, God, are you still good? And having to search his word and say, God, would I still trust you if you took away my wife's mobility at my, at my expense? That I was the one that drove the four-wheeler. And so, God, are you still good even though I'd be living with the guilt that I was the one that inflicted the injury? And would you still be good if my wife was paralyzed and we never got to go on another hike or another swim? Well, there's been times in my life where I've asked questions like, is Jesus really the only way? Like, are we, are we saying all the Muslims, all the Hindus, we're saying all the Buddhists and all the non-Christian, like, they're not gonna make it to heaven? Are we really saying that? And so, like, I went on a journey. I went to the, a big mosque in Houston and sat underneath the teaching of the imam there. I went to a temple in Houston, and, and, uh, a Buddhist temple, and heard from the monks there. and went to a, another temple, a Hindu temple in Houston, and, and learned and observed a prayer service and a worship service there and learned about some of these religions and then also studied secular humanism and atheism and some other belief systems and, and, and just saying, God, is this, are, did I pick the right team? Am I following the right deal? Is, are you the only way? And and I ask questions and I live my doubts. Another thing that I've gone through, or maybe you've gone through, is that, is that I've been disappointed. 
I remember the first job I had in ministry. Uh, we, we, hit the, we hit the field like we're about to change the world. Hell don't know what's about to hit them, you know. We're about to rob hell. You know, we're about to take everybody. We're about to turn. We about, this is gonna, they ain't never seen it. Billy Graham better look out. <laughs> Chad Glover hit the scene, right? You know, and like I just remember being so ambitious and so zealous and so like I'm going to change the world. I found out years later they were about to fire me from that job before I got reassigned to another one. And, and there was disappointment. There was like, God, you, you're the one that can change the world, and why don't you use me? And I'm going to be the tip of the spear. Revival's about to come. And it never came. And I remember praying and, and pleading, God, won't you move? Don't you want, don't you want to break out in this, in this community? Don't you want to heal this community and ask in those questions? And listen, oftentimes we'll go through a season or go through a series of questions like that and we'll think, oh no, I can't tell anybody this. I've got to keep this on the hush. But you need to live your doubts out loud. That your doubts, they can be real. I've had my own doubts. I've had to deconstruct some things. It's led to my discovery and ultimately to my determination that God is still good in the midst of painful circumstances. That Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And even in the midst of my disappointments, God is doing something profound. And I can stand confidently and with integrity to tell you that when you begin to ask questions, Jesus may not give you answers to all your questions, but he'll give you your presence in the midst of the process. And so if you're leading somebody that's deconstructing Jesus, he would say, hey, acknowledge the reality. The best thing that John did, in my opinion, is that when he felt a frustration, when he felt a disappointment, he took it to Jesus. So if you're here and you're in that season where you're isolated, lonely, you're feeling forgotten or you feel some injustice, have you shared those things with Jesus? Like, have you taken your frustrations to him? I think sometimes we'll think, well, life doesn't make sense. I can't tell God about it. And I'll just say, no, live your frustrations out to God. Share your doubts and your questions out to him. When things don't add up, I would encourage you to talk to God about it. He wants to make himself known to you. He wants to be present with you even in the midst of the pain and the process you may be in. So when we express our frustrations, I think sometimes we, we don't want to do that because we're kind of scared that God, you know, that Jesus is going to be like, I don't know if y'all have seen the Batman meme where he's, he's slapping Robin or whatever. We think Jesus is going to backhand us, you know, and like, hey, man, get your act together. What do you mean doubt me? Am I the coming one? Look somebody, you better not look for somebody else, but that's not what Jesus does. Here's what he does in verse 4. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. He says, the blind see, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Point number two, if you want to respond the way Jesus responded to people that are deconstructing, you've got to respond to, the, to it graciously or to them graciously. Again, Jesus didn't blow them up. He, he didn't see John's disciples and say, you go tell John, are you kidding me? You're going to doubt me after all we've been through? You don't believe? What about all that? Must I, you know, I must increase stuff. What about all that, like, worthy to tie the sandal, unworthy to tie the sandal thing? What about I'll behold the Lamb of God? What about all that? You go tell John, what's wrong with you? That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not like that. If you don't know Jesus, and you have a view of him as that he's just, he's just kind of angry, Note that the number one emotion that Jesus felt that's recorded in the Bible is compassion. That if you have questions, Jesus is not opposed to you. 
It's because Jesus is the most secure person in the whole world. And no question that you ask will ever intimidate him. And no question that you ask will ever be so great that it will cause him to backpedal and feel insecure. And so come to him freely. And his acceptance of you in those moments is genuine. He's not angry with John's disciples. He just he really kind of responds in two ways. First of all, he reminds them of, of, that he is the coming one. He, he begins to quote different passages, really primarily from the book of Isaiah, where we see like in Isaiah 32, 3, where Jesus is saying, like, you tell John I am the Savior, that the lame will walk, that the blind will see, that the deaf will hear. And, he, and he's pulling together some different verses from Isaiah that were prophecies about the Messiah that would come and he would do these things. And so Jesus responds to them saying, hey, you go back to John and you tell him everything that you're seeing, everything that you're hearing, and you make it clear that I am ushering in the kingdom of God and that I am indeed the coming one. I am the son of God. I am the lamb of God. I am the worthy one. I am the one that you're looking for. I am indeed the one that you did baptize, John. And I am the one where the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descended upon me and, and the voice of God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I am God. You go tell John that he has not made a mistake. And his sacrifice isn't lost. And you go remind him of who I am. And so Jesus, he tells John's guys, hey, you go remind him. And then he kind of rebukes John a little bit. He says this in verse 6. He says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, when I was studying this verse, I was like, what is Jesus saying? I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you ever read the words of Jesus and you're like, see, what that means is, um, you know, like what he's saying there is, uh, you know, and then like if, you, if we're having a dialogue, I'd be like, well, what, do you, what do you think it says? You know, and I just put the ball in your court. You know, I don't know if you ever read things like that. And it's just like, what is going on there? That was this verse for me this week. I don't have it all together. Is that okay? I don't have it all figured out. Is that Okay. I'm still learning some things and still trying to make sense of the words of Jesus. And he says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Some of your translations say, and blessed is he who doesn't stumble because of me. So if you're new to the Bible, this word blessed, it's a beatitude. It comes from a Latin word. And Jesus, he has like a, some famous beatitudes in one of his most famous sermons in Matthew chapter 5. And, and, and then he gives a few beatitudes along the way. These are these like, blessed is he who statements. And this word blessed, it's kind of a loaded word in the Bible, and it literally means that you have the favor of God when you're blessed. You have the favor of God. God's favor is upon you. Uh, that you're also, you're internally at peace, and that you have like this inexplicable joy, that you have an eternal happiness, that you're, this is what it means to be blessed, all right? And so Jesus is saying, blessed is this person. They have the favor of God, they have internal well-being, internal peace, and they have inexplicable joy, a state of joy when they're not stumbling because of Jesus. This word stumble, again, some, some translators say offended. It can mean falling away or getting annoyed. Blessed are you when you don't get annoyed because of Jesus. I don't know if this is making sense to y'all. It's not making sense to me. And so when I read this, I'm like, what is Jesus saying? What is he saying? And I did some study, and, and here's, what I, here's what I came up with. Don't let God's work in someone else's life 
cause you to lose faith in God's lack of work in your life. That sometimes God's work, it seems relative. Here's what I mean. You will see God blessing somebody greatly. And you'll be like, how do I get some of that greatness, you know? And you'll kind of like dap them up and just kind of rub their backside, you know, because you think they got some anointing or whatever, like glory. And you're like, I'm just trying to just get some of that, you know, just blessing on me. And then, but it just seems like God is blessing them, blessing them, and not blessing you. It seems like you told the truth and you're being relegated to a prison in, 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 on the, the outskirts of the empire. And he's saying, don't stumble when I bless someone else and I don't bless you. Don't stumble when you see me being God and working greatly and it appears that I'm not working in your life. That God, he's, Jesus, he's saying that God can be speaking clearly to someone and oftentimes he cannot be speaking anything seemingly to another one that God can answer someone's prayers and not answer another person's prayers. That Jesus is saying, blessed is he who trusts me in the midst of difficulty. Blessed is he who doesn't lose their faith when things don't work out the way that they think they should work out. Blessed is the man who trusts me even when it doesn't seem like I'm acting on their behalf. What Jesus is saying to John, you go tell these disciples, disciples you go tell John, don't leave your faith. I know it's hard. But John, I'm working something so that we can be together one day for eternity. Don't lose faith. Don't see how I'm liberating all of these people and feel like I've forgotten you altogether. Even though it seems that way, I'm still at work. Now, I don't know if you read this story and you kind of put it in context, and I know I'm asking this question like, Come on, Jesus. Like you fed 5,000. You couldn't have got the guy out of prison. Like you walked on water. You could have walked from Nazareth, Capernaum. You could have got there. You could have spoke a word and let them loose. Like why, why would you, if, if there was somebody that you loved that was stuck in a prison, if there was somebody that you loved that was lonely, if there was somebody that you loved that felt forgotten, that was experiencing hell, then why wouldn't you do something, Jesus? Why wouldn't you do something to liberate them? Why wouldn't you do something to rescue them? And the Bible tells us that he did. That the Bible records and history records that John, he would eventually lose his head. He would be martyred. And that shortly thereafter, Jesus would be arrested for doing the right thing. And that he would die on a cross and he would be murdered as well. And then three days later, that Jesus would raise from the grave, proving that he is the coming one. He is the son of God, and we don't need to look for another. And the reason why he did this is because he loved the world so much that he didn't want to leave us in a prison called sin. And he saw us in our spiritual loneliness, in our spiritual isolation, in our spiritual forgottenness, and he wanted to break the silence and speak the love of God clearly into our life so that we didn't have to spend forever in hell apart from him. That Jesus died so that we could be with him forever. And sure, John had a bad go, and he had some doubts, and he was deconstructing some things. But I'm confident that those disciples went back and they shared with John all that Jesus was doing, and John's faith was restored. 
and rebuilt, but with a new idea that he wasn't gonna get out of this prison, but that Jesus was working something so that he didn't stay in an eternal prison. And he trusted Jesus. And so if you're here tonight, this is the hope of Christianity. If you're here tonight, you don't know what Christianity is all about. It is about Jesus dying for the sins of the world, raising from the grave so that we could have faith or so that we could have hope and life if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're here and you feel like Jesus hasn't done what you hoped he would do, he's already done what you need him to do. And that the offer is made available to you, that he died so that you could be delivered from the ultimate prison of hell. Uh, my brother, he deconstructed, and I was asking him, like, hey, if you could narrow it down to one thing, what is it? He said, well, I had a dissonance with God. I was like, don't use big words, man. Don't you, what does that word mean? I don't even know what that word means. Like, break it down for me, you know? And he just said, well, I was, I was disappointed with God. And so he was disappointed with God because he felt like he had held up his end of the deal and God didn't hold up his end of the deal, which shows that he really hasn't put his faith on the biblical God, if that's his ideal. But I, I know what he's saying. And so what happened is that he stopped believing in God and he decided that God doesn't exist. And so he left God because God wasn't who he thought he should be. Now I wonder tonight what, like if, if God was not who you thought he should be, and maybe rather when God is not who you think he should be, will you still believe? There's a famous song called I Still Believe. I don't know if I've ever heard this song by a Christian artist, a guy named Jeremy. And uh, he wrote this song out of tragedy. Jeremy was a young adult and he fell in love with a girl and she was diagnosed with cancer. And she had it in her liver and her ovaries, I think. And, and then like she started getting treatment and like cancer was clean. It went into remission, everything was good. They're like in the early 20s. So they get married. And they get married and like shortly after they're married, the cancer comes back with a vengeance. And she starts fighting the cancer again, but she loses. This young couple, godly young couple, worship leaders, sold out Christians. And so now Jeremy's like, oh my gosh, I've lost everything that's precious to me. And in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his despair, he writes this song, I still believe. And he says, God, I, I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your holy word. I still believe. And it was a declaration of faith that even though I'm in a dark place, even though, God, you've robbed everything that was precious to me from me, even though I'm disappointed, I still believe. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble because of me. So you're in a dark place tonight, Paradigm. If you are, Jesus sees you. Do you feel forgotten? If you do, Jesus loves you. Do you see God at work in other people's lives but not your own? I would urge you, don't give up. And choose to believe in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to be able to get into your word. God, I thank you that, that the Bible's not trying to protect us from people who had doubts in you. And I just thank you that men and women, they... They struggled with their faith in you and they struggled with it in such a way that we have the, the ability to be able to read about it tonight. God, I thank you that you're not intimidated by our questions. Jesus, I thank you that you don't try to minimize our pain, 
but you acknowledge it. God, I thank you that you don't rebuke us and chastise us and say, how dare you? But you simply hear our struggles and you respond to us with kindness and with evidence. So God, I pray for my friends tonight, maybe those that are in a dark place. God, I ask that you would speak to them clearly. Uh, Those that feel forgotten, God, I pray that you would help them to know that you are the God that sees. Those that feel like you're silent in their life, God, that you would speak to them and that they would hear the voice of God and it would be like a spring water running in a desert in their soul. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit, that you would help those that have left the faith, those that have fallen away, that you would bring them back. God, I pray for my brother Cole that you would help him to see you clearly in such an undeniable way that he would return back and that you would welcome him gladly. And God, I pray that we would live our doubts, we would live our questions. And we may not ever get all the answers to all the questions. That's where faith comes in. And we would trust that you're present with us in the process. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.